The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, preached on August 14, 2011, the fourth in a four-part series on the Gospels. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. Today we conclude our four-part series on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and on the images that the Church has adopted to symbolize each one, the image of the man, the lion, the ox, and the eagle. The Holy Spirit chose four different writers for these four books, And he used each of these writers according to their individual styles, abilities, life experiences, and audience. And that's where the symbols on the banners above the organ help us see the different characteristic of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet, as we've also made clear each week here, although there are four books that we call the Gospels and four writers and four symbols yet, they all proclaim one and the same gospel, namely the good news of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our only Savior from sin and death. They proclaim his life, death, and resurrection for us. And all four have one and the same purpose, namely to kindle faith in the heart and to fan that flame into a roaring fire so that you keep on believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and through faith in Him have eternal life. And thirdly, they also all have one and the same author, namely the Holy Spirit, who reminded them of what Jesus had said and done and guided them into all truth. So what each of the four wrote is fully and completely, word for word, the Word of God. There are no contradictions, no mistakes no errors. And today, we take a look at the last of the four, the gospel according to St. John, symbolized by the eagle. Now, John here is the John you know well from the trio, Peter, James, and John. He was brought up as a fisherman alongside his father Zebedee and his brother James on the Sea of Galilee. Until Jesus called John and his brother James to leave their fishing nets and to follow him. Now, Jesus gave these two brothers a special nickname. He called them Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. It seems they, at times, could be a bit overzealous, you could say. For example, One time when a Samaritan village refused to welcome Jesus, they asked him if they should call down fire from heaven to destroy the city. Jesus rebukes them for that. On another occasion, through their mother, they asked if they could sit on his right and on his left in his kingdom. Jesus asked them if they can drink the cup that he was to drink, and they self-assuredly say, we can. You see how they could be a bit overzealous, sons of thunder? And yet, and yet along with Peter, these two disciples did see things that the other disciples did not see. Remember how Jesus took along Peter, James, and John, along with the parents, 
into the, the room where he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead, they were the only witnesses of that. Also, it was these three that Jesus took up on the mount so that they alone saw him transfigured with his divine glory as Moses and Elijah spoke with him. They heard the voice of the Father declare, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. And it was these three, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus took farther into Gethsemane to watch and pray with him on that night he was betrayed. Or think of John in particular here. At the Last Supper, he was reclined at the table next to Jesus. He's the one that Peter motioned to for him to ask Jesus who the betrayer was. And then remember how at the cross, Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to John. This is the disciple, the apostle, whom the Holy Spirit used to write the fourth gospel. And as you read through what John wrote here, you'll see that he never actually mentions himself by name. When he has to refer to himself in the narrative, he simply calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. But don't misunderstand that expression. It's not as if John were saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved most. That's not the words that are written there. Rather, the thought that John wants to express is this. Although I'm not worthy even to mention my own name, yet Jesus loved even me. And even called someone like me to follow him. How great his love. Yes, how great the love of the Savior is. That love that John brings out in the gospel as well as as the other scripture that he wrote. Now, after Pentecost, John carried out the work of an apostle. Like Peter and the other disciples, he preached in Jerusalem. And church history tells us that later on he settled in the city of Ephesus, which had become a center of Christianity. Also from church history, it seems that John, unlike the other disciples, he died a natural death, probably around the year 100 A.D. And it was during the last decade or two of his life that he wrote the Gospel, as well as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. He is the last of the inspired authors, and no doubt the Lord used him to help guide the early church to recognize which of the writings were inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore part of the Scriptures. Now, since John wrote several years after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he doesn't repeat much of the material that is already well known from those writers. Rather, John draws our focus to the words of Jesus that testify that he is the Son of God, sent by the Father, sent on the mission to save sinners. Yes, John draws our attention to the fact that Jesus is our one and only Savior, the Savior we desperately need. Without him we perish, but through faith in him we have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. John three sixteen. So now, How does the symbol of the eagle tie in with all this? 
Well, as we look at the words the Holy Spirit gave John, as we look at, at, at how John wrote, we see that, in a way, his gospel soars like an eagle. It soars to heights unknown. His style is, is very simple and straightforward. His vocabulary is not difficult. His sentences are not complex. And yet, and yet the thoughts and ideas that the Holy Spirit expresses through the writing of John are out of this world. They soar so far above our reason, like an eagle soaring above our heads. From the very beginning of the Gospel, John soars back farther than any of the other writers. Remember how Mark began by telling us about the ministry of John the Baptist? Matthew went back as far as Abraham and, and Luke all the way back to Adam to trace the ancestry of Jesus. But John, John soars back to before time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1. Again and again, John brings out the testimony of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, the Word made flesh sent by the Father, sent to lay down his life for us sinners, sent to take up his life again, sent so that you may believe and have eternal life in his name. And so a possible theme that we could have for John is this. Believe the testimony of the word made flesh. Yes, dear friends, believe this testimony Believe the testimony as you hear it from John the Baptist, who points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. From the very beginning, John makes it clear why the Word became flesh. Jesus came as flesh and blood to sacrifice himself as the Lamb. The Father sent him on the mission to take away the sins of the world by carrying all sins to the cross in our place. He became flesh and blood so that our sins were nailed to the cross in his body. Believe the testimony, dear friends. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. He has taken away your sins. You see, the cross is never far from the words of Jesus throughout his ministry. From the very beginning, we see that the cross is the center and focus of Jesus' earthly work. Take a look just at, at John chapter 2, for example. There we see Jesus beginning his ministry as he drives out the money changers and merchants from the temple for the first time. He'll do this again at the end of his ministry, but here at the very beginning in Jerusalem of his earthly ministry down, down at, in Jerusalem, he says this, Destroy this temple, 
And I will raise it again in three days, referring to his body and his resurrection from the dead. See how the cross is the focus of his ministry? And in John chapter 3, as Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, once again we see the cross, as Jesus says to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so also the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Yes, he came to be lifted up onto the cross for us. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Believe the testimony, dear friends. The word became flesh in order to give his life so that you may have life. Believe his testimony. And in John chapter 10, Jesus puts it very simply. I lay down my life for my sheep. Yes, long before Gethsemane and Calvary, the cross is the focus and center of Jesus' ministry. That is why the Father sent him. That is the mission he was to complete. He is the Word made flesh, sent by the Father to die for us and rise again so that you may have eternal life. And that's not only the testimony of Jesus. That's the testimony of the Father himself. And this too, John brings out as he records the words of Jesus that that the Father himself testifies through the works of Jesus and through the words of Scripture. For example, when John records a miracle of Jesus, more often than not he refers to it as a sign. Rather than calling it a miracle or a wonder, he calls it a sign. It is a sign that Jesus has been sent by the Father. That's one part of the Father's testimony. And the other part of the Father's testimony are the words of the Scriptures, the Old Testament, that the Father gave the prophets to write and that Jesus fulfilled. Jesus himself explains the Father's testimony through his works and words in this way. In John chapter 5, Jesus says, the very work that the Father has given me to finish, and which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yes, dear friends, believe the testimony of the Father as you see that testimony in the works, the signs, the miracles that Jesus has done, and in the words of the Father proclaimed in the Scriptures. Believe the testimony. Believe the testimony that this man, Jesus Christ, who is flesh and blood, is your God, the Son of the Father, sent by the Father. Believe the testimony of His divinity. For this too, John brings out again and again as he records the words of Jesus. That although we see Jesus as flesh and blood, although we will see him condemned and crucified, yet he is our God. For only God can save us. Only God can bring us eternal life. And so John brings out the testimony of of the divinity of Jesus again and again. For example, again in chapter 5, we see Jesus himself saying, The Father judges no one, 
but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Honor and worship the Son as your God, for he is true God just as the Father is true God. In John chapter 8, Jesus again testifies concerning his divinity when he says, Before Abraham was born, I am. He is the eternal Lord, the unchanging I am, the God of full and free and faithful grace. And in John 10, Jesus simply says, I and the Father are one. Jesus testifies that he is true God. And think also of how after his resurrection in John chapter 20, how he accepts the confession of Thomas as the truth when Thomas cries out and and says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Believe the testimony of his divinity. This man, Jesus Christ, who is flesh and blood, is our God, the Son of the Father, sent to die for you and rise again so that you may have eternal life. There is so much more we could say as we look at John and, and see how what he writes soars like an eagle far above our reason. There is so much more we could say. For example, as you read through John, you notice how the opposition against Jesus grows more and more. As John, through that, demonstrates that either we believe the testimony of the Word made flesh, or else our unbelief drives us farther and farther away from Jesus. And in this way, John again calls on us to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In fact, that's the purpose for which he wrote his gospel, as he states in chapter 20. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Yes, there is is so much more we could talk about. For example, only John records Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, or the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Only John, or or think about how, how John tells us in detail the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. Only John tells us how he washed his disciples' feet and told them to love one another even as he had loved them. He spoke to them about his father's house, how he is going there to prepare a place for them. He promises them the Holy Spirit so that they will not be left as orphans even though the world will hate them. And he prays for them and for all who will believe through their testimony. Yes, there there is so much more we could say and We haven't even talked about the climax. For you see, just as Matthew, Mark, and Luke lead us to the cross, so also John leads us to the cross where we see Jesus completing the mission that the Father has sent him on. That mission that Jesus completes even as he declares from that cross, it is finished. Mission accomplished. And like the other writers, John too records the glorious resurrection of our Savior, and shows how even someone like Thomas was convinced that Jesus had truly, really bodily risen from the dead. Yes, there is so much more we could say 
on the gospel according to St. John. And yet maybe the little that we've touched on this morning helps you see how John soars like an eagle, calling on you and me to believe the testimony of the Word made flesh, to believe so that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ, God's Son, sent by the Father to die for you and rise again. Maybe the the best way for us to close here this morning is with the seven I am statements of Jesus that John records. Each of these statements illustrates just how, how simple the words and sentences of John are. And yet each one of these statements soars so high that even a lifetime of contemplation cannot reach their heights. So, dear friends, believe the testimony of the Word made flesh as He says to you, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.